Hey, and thanks for tuning in to the Father's House podcast. The Father's House exists to see people discover life in Jesus. We hope that today's message brings you fresh life and renewed hope as you listen. Enjoy. This morning, we are going to continue on in our series that we're in called The Great I Am. How many of you have enjoyed this so far? I love that graphic, by the way. During this series, we are looking at the eight statements that Jesus makes of himself that all start with the words, I am. In the first week of this series, we looked back to the beginning and the introduction uh, of this theme of I am and how it has to do with deliverance when uh, Moses and God had a conversation. And God shows up to Moses as I am, the great I am. And Moses poses this question to God. He says, hey, you want me to go help the Israelites and deliver them, but who should I say is sending me? And he says, tell them I am that I am is sending you. And as we began to see this last week, this introduction of God as deliverer is throughout every single statement that we're going to read in the book of John. Every I am statement has to do with God's deliverance. Last week, uh, Tim talked about Jesus' claim that he is the bread that came down from heaven to deliver us from a life of dissatisfaction and unfulfillment. And ultimately, to be that that one who came to deliver us and take us into eternity. Now, it was such a good word last week, and I need all of you to know that I did forgive Tim for eating gluten up here. But because I've learned so much about celiac disease and how I shouldn't even be touching gluten, I was looking at his Bible, and I'm like, you, you literally laid it on your Bible. Like, I now cannot touch the book of John in Tim's Bible because it's contaminated. But it's okay, I've forgiven him since then. You're you're welcome. (laughs) Well, we're going to continue on, and this week we're going to look at another one of Jesus' I am statements. And this I am statement is actually, I'd say, the most popular I am statement, if there was. I know that sounds kind of weird, but it's the most quoted I am statement. And we're going to also see how it is also connected to this first introduction as God as deliverer. If you've got your Bible with you, you can open up to John chapter 14. That's where we're going to land. But I want to provide just a little bit of context before we get into this I am statement. Here in John 14, Jesus is sitting down with his disciples, and he was having a meal with them. But this wasn't just any meal. It's a meal we refer to as the Last Supper or the Passover meal that he's sharing with them. Now, there's a lot that goes on during this meal. It's a very chaotic dinner party. In fact, as I was thinking about this and going back through the story, I'm like, man, we could do an entire series just on this dinner party and everything that took place. We see during this time that Jesus kneels down and he begins to wash the feet of every single one of his disciples. He also lets them know that one of them is going to betray him. In addition to that, all of them will deny him. There's so much happening in this. And then Jesus lets him know that this very night, he will be leaving them. Now, all of these things that Jesus shared with them, it left the disciples perplexed, saddened, kind of confused, emotional. And it's with that understanding that I want us to dive in and read what Jesus says to his disciples next. We're going to pick it up in verse 1. He says this. Let not your hearts be troubled. 
Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would, ha would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself, that where I am, you may go also. And you know the way to where I go. And Thomas interrupts Jesus and says, hey, Lord, we actually don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? And then Jesus makes this famous, as I said, popular, I am statement and responds, I am the way, I am the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Today, the words that we're going to be looking at, the great I am statement is, I am the way, the truth, and the life. That's what we're going to be focusing in on today. So if you're a note taker and you like titles, here's a title for you. Our title for today is Cushions Not Clubs. It'll make sense at some point, hopefully. Will you pray with me today? Father, we thank you that you come to hang out with your people as we draw near you, you draw near us. Um, you know, I, during worship I had this moment and I wrote, I wrote this line of the song that we were singing out and I want us to pray this over our hearts. Uh, it's the power of your presence, Jesus, that changes us. It's not the power of somebody with a microphone in their hand, it's the power of your presence. So pray right now that we would open up our hearts and however our hearts, I pray this over my heart right now, however my heart needs to change, we thank you that you are here among us and if we are willing to search you out and say, God, would you change me, we know that you'll show up. So we invite you to do what you can only do. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, uh, a company called Pew Research did a study recently in the U.S., and they asked people two questions. The first question that they asked was, do you believe in heaven? And for those who answered yes to that question, then the follow-up question was, well, then how do you get there? Now, their research found that roughly 73% of the U.S. population believes that heaven is real, and among those 73%, there was vastly different answers to how you get there. About a third of them answered that question and said that in order to get to heaven, you must have a relationship with God. But the other two-thirds have varying answers, things like everything from you have to be a good person, to you must have some sort of religious practice, or you just have to stay away from things that are illegal, and then you'll get into heaven. To me, this proves that even 2,000 years after this conversation between Jesus and Thomas, people are still asking this eternal question. If heaven is real, then how do I get there? And I find this interesting because based on what we just read in John 14, there shouldn't be that many people asking this question. Jesus makes it very clear, as we just read, that he has gone to prepare a place for us. He's the one who has gone to prepare this place, and he makes it clear that the way to eternal life is through him. That the way to get to heaven is him. He's the way. 
He's the truth and he is the life. So today I want to spend our time breaking down these three statements that Jesus gives us and looking at them individually so that we can consider their personal application. You guys up for that? Well, the first I am statement that Jesus makes, the first part of it, he says, I am the way that gets you to eternity. I'm the way. Now, Jesus doesn't say, I am a way. Jesus says, I am the way. If you study the birth of the early church, then you would find that they took this I am statement that Jesus made very seriously. Because these group of disciples in the beginning of the church, they didn't refer to themselves as Christians. Instead, they referred to themselves as people of the way. I I love that. Now, in fact, if you study in the book of Acts that the, the word or term Christian didn't show up until Acts 11. Now, you maybe know this, but maybe you don't. Here's a fun fact for you. That term Christian was not one that the disciples were like, hey, we're going to call ourselves that. In fact, that word Christian was an insult. It was the outsiders, the people that were not believers and disciples of Jesus. They would look at them and go, look at those crazy people, those Christians, those little Christs, those Jesus people. That term uh, wasn't meant to be an endearing term, but the believers were like, actually, we kind of like that. We like that, that insult. We're going to turn it into a compliment because we want to look like Jesus' people. Uh, I have some Jewish people and some Palestinian friends that I know that they don't actually call themselves Christians. Instead, they call themselves people of the way. And the reason for it is because we're at another crossroad in time and course in history. And right now, that term Christian sometimes looks more like a political persuasion. It it looks like hate speech or radical ideologies. And while these disciples of Jesus are totally fine being associated with Jesus, they don't want to be called something that's associated with something that looks nothing like Jesus. And I'm kind of thinking of adopting this myself. (laughs) Hi, I'm Robin. It's nice to meet you. I'm a person of the way. (laughs) One, I like to be different. But two, I think that the early disciples were on to something. Because if I refer to myself as a person of the way, it's a constant reminder that I'm following Jesus' ways, not my ways. And referring to myself as that is that reminder. But when I think about what Jesus says, in fact, what Isaiah 55 says about him, it says that his ways are not my ways. It says that his ways are in fact higher than my ways and greater than my ways. And when Jesus makes this statement to his disciples that I am the way, these disciples have a three-year history of what the way of Jesus looks like. They spent time with him, traveling around, eating meals with him, ministering with him. And so they had a very clear picture of what Jesus' way looked like. What did his way look like? His way looked like service as he knelt down and washed their feet. His way looked like eating and sharing a meal with sinners while the religious scoffed. His, his way looked like going and protecting a woman who was caught in the act of adultery while the religious people were trying to shame her. 
His way looked like searching out an outhouse, excuse me, I can speak. His way looked like searching out an outcast woman at a well. Jesus was the friend of sinners. He was the friend of the poor. He was not, he didn't just associate with the honorable, he associated with the dishonorable. Jesus' way was a way of sacrifice. His way looked like carrying a cross. Let's be honest today. The way that Jesus invites us into, it's not easy. (laughs) Yet, I think many try and buy into a version of faith that presents this way of Jesus as easy for all. But in reality, that's not the gospel. In fact, there's something else that Jesus says about his way. In Matthew 7, he says this. You can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. The highway to hell is broad and its gate is wide for the many who choose that way. But the gateway to life, it's very narrow. The road is difficult, but only a few will enter and find it. His gateway is narrow and the road is difficult. As a pastor, this is a scripture that I have to constantly keep on the forefront of my mind. Because I don't want to preach a gospel that's false, that causes people to buy into a gospel and have a false sense of security. Because what the truth is, is a little bit later on in Matthew 7, pretty soon that person could find themselves standing at the gates of heaven and they can hear from God, I never knew you. See, the truth is that the way of Jesus is hard. In fact, when he invited the first disciples to follow him, he promised them difficulty. He promised them trial. He promised them persecution. And he said, I want you to follow me, but that means that you need to pick up your cross and follow me. That's my way. Now, I know that that word persecution is hard for you and I to get, to fully grasp and understand. Because we have the ability to serve our Jesus in a country where, it's, where we're free to do so. We can freely worship him and serve him. We can stand up on a park bench and say, I choose Jesus. I am a follower of the way. But what we need to realize is there's a whole lot of other people upon the earth that don't have that luxury. That at the very mention of the name of Jesus, they could be persecuted. They could be killed for simply following Jesus. But here's the deal. Jesus knew that you would follow him in a country where you were free to do so. Whether you were born or immigrated here, he knew you would follow him here. Yet he still says to you and I today, my way isn't easy. He still says, pick up your cross and follow me in my way. Now, his way, it's not wide. As it says in Matthew 7, it is not a well-paved highway. They were driven on like a freshly paved road. You're like, this is amazing. It's like butter. His way is not a freshly paved road. It's not the, the, the road you travel down on your commute where you get to set your cruise control. Maybe the drive assist. Maybe lean the chair back just ever so slightly. Sip on your coffee while you listen to the radio. Or if you're in a Tesla, maybe watch a movie while you safely are sent to your destination. 
Now, the way of Jesus, it's difficult. The road is sometimes bumpy. It's like Terraval. I'm like, how long are you going to do construction on this road, people? Let's get it done. My, uh, my daughter, we have to drive her to school. This is the first year we've had to do that. And the road that we travel on, you know, there's many routes we can figure out, but we figured out the quickest route. But this route might be quick, but it's not easy. You know, there's a lot of those one-lane, two-way roads that we have to travel down. You know, the one where you feel like you're paying, playing Pac-Man, where you're like, okay, I'm gonna, I go, you go. Okay, and you're like turning over into the spot, and then you're like, come on, come on, come on. You let three cars through, and then you go back this way. And it's like, it's a full-on focused drive. It's the 10 and 2 sort of posture that you have to have. And then that one person who's never driven on the streets of San Francisco, most of the time they're in a Tesla because they're used to it taking them places. They don't know what they're doing, and they hold up traffic, and then you got to back up into the spot. You know what I'm talking about. Praise God for driving in San Francisco. Oh, that way, it's difficult. <laughs> oh, I think that this is a good moment in the message today for us to ask ourselves a question. What does the road I'm traveling down look like? Does it look easy in the way that I'm following after Jesus right now? Or maybe a cheesier and more memorable way to say it is Am I on the easy road or am I on the Jesus road? You're welcome for that cheesy one. Because if I have not adopted his way, that means that I'm following my way and I'm traveling in the wrong direction. And it's time for me to pick up my cross again and follow him in his ways. The second thing that Jesus says to his disciples around this table is, I am the truth that gets you into eternity. I am the truth. I think that this statement that Jesus makes to his disciples is extremely important. But I think it's also extremely important for us as disciples today because of the cultural context that we find ourselves living in. No, Jesus does not offer you what the world, what this culture offers you. He did not and he does not tell us to find our truth. He doesn't say live out your truth, Robin. Find your truth that fits you. Which is extremely important for us to consider because right now in this time in history, there are so many people that are searching for truth. But the unfortunate fact is they are not searching for God's truth. Instead, they're searching for their own truth. What fits my needs? What fits my desires? What fits my wants? And we're searching after a truth that aligns with the lifestyle that we're already living. Now, in fact, when I kind of look at not just our world, but I look at the church today, the fact that so many are searching for truth, do you know what it's doing? It's causing some aspects of the, the church in this, in this region, in this world, to begin to bend and bow to what the cultural pressure is so that we, they can adapt the truth to fit into the cultural narrative. See, culture wants to widen the way. 
It wants to make the truth subjective. But I have news for us today. The truth of Jesus that he's presenting here, it is not a subjective truth. He does not say, I am a way. I am one way. No, he's presenting an objective truth, one that cannot be manipulated. He's saying, I am the way. An objective truth, it means that scripture, the word of God is the filter. It means that we don't get to try and manipulate what the word of God says so it can fit our agenda and our life and our style and what we want it to say. Instead, the objective truth means that we have to bend our truth to Jesus's truth. We have to adopt his, which also really practically means that if the word of God is going to be the filter, some stuff's not gonna make it through. There's gonna be some things that we need to lay down at the altar. And I've seen people in this community when they're presented with that truth, completely walk away from Jesus because they're not willing to accept it. Yet I've also seen some people in our community that when they're faced with what the truth of God's word says, they begin to lay down their lifestyle. They begin to lay down the choices and the things that maybe they'd been walking in. Now, I can tell you story after story. I've seen couples in our community that when faced with what the truth of the word says, they've laid down lifestyles. Couples who've come in here and have made a decision of faith in this place and then they start reading their word and they're like, yo, we should probably stop sleeping together. I just read in 1 Corinthians, we shouldn't fornicate. And I've seen people, yes, in this day and age, in San Francisco, lay down their lifestyle and pick up his truth. I've seen others who've had a habit of excessively drinking, and they're like, no big deal, get blackout drunk every Friday night. And then they start reading the truth, and they're like in Proverbs, and they're like, yo, it says don't get drunk. I should probably stop doing that. And I've seen them lay down a habit and lifestyle. I've seen others who've read in 1 Timothy about the pursuit of purity and being used for noble purposes have decided, you know what? I gotta stop looking at that. I gotta stop doing that because I want God to use me. So I'm gonna lay down my lifestyle. I've heard person after person, story after story where they've said, my truth can't be the way anymore. I'm gonna submit my life and I'm gonna allow God's truth to trump mine. And we're clapping, but let's be honest. This is uncomfortable. This is kind of the uncomfortable part of the sermon today. But we have to be willing to be confronted with this because here's the deal. If we don't confront this here, we'll be confronted with it when we get to eternity. We're gonna give an account for our life and the choices. Did we abide by what God's truth was? So. Since it's a tad awkward in the room, let's just make it a little more awkward, shall we? Let me ask us this question today. Does your life align with God's truth? Are there any areas of your life where you have to ignore scripture to permit a certain behavior? Are there any beliefs, lifestyle choices, mindsets, even liberties that you have adapted which contradict the teachings of scripture. And maybe you don't know the answer to that because you haven't read it yet. 
I know some people that are terrified to pick up the word of God because they know that it might force them to address some things in their life. But let me say it again. If we don't address it here, we're going to address it in eternity. So let me ask us again. Does your life align with God's truth? And if not, then Jesus is clear here in John 14. We don't have the luxury of ignoring or manipulating the word of God to fit our life. But instead, to follow in his ways is to adapt our lives to fit his truth. And to be willing to surrender everything that doesn't submit to the word of truth. Why? So that we can travel down this narrow way to the house that he's prepared for us. He is the way. It's an alarm. He is the way. He's telling you right now. He is the truth. And then the last thing that Jesus says to his disciples around the table is this. He says, I am the life that gets you to eternity. As I mentioned at the beginning, this meal that Jesus was sharing with his disciples wasn't just any meal. It wasn't just the Last Supper, but it was actually the Passover meal that their ancestors had been sharing and celebrating for the last 1,400 years. And we read in the book of Exodus when this first Passover meal was shared, that it was shared by the every Israelite household while they were still being held as captives in Egypt. If you're new to reading the Bible, let me give you a little bit of information about this out of Exodus. God commands the people of Israel and says, hey, I want every household to take a lamb and kill it and roast it over a fire. Then I want you to take some bread that's made without leaven, and I want you to eat it quickly as a sign of you rushing out of the city. And then I want you to reserve some of the blood from that lamb that you killed, and I want you to take it, and I want you to paint its blood over the doorpost of each and every one of your homes. Because tonight, I'm coming to bring judgment on Egypt that's holding you captive, and I'm going to go and kill every firstborn of the households of Egypt. And the sign for me to pass over your home will be the blood on your doorpost. So... Jesus was sharing this, now sitting at this table with his disciples, and he was sharing this symbolic Passover meal. He, who is the bread, was eating the bread, as we learned last week. But the symbolism is about to deepen even more, because Jesus, like the blood of the lamb that was spread on the doorpost of their homes, is going to be the lamb that was slain, and his blood is going to drip down the post of the cross that he'll hang on. Why? For the deliverance of the people. And Jesus, as he prepares to give his life for all of humanity, not just the disciples sitting at that table, he says to them, I am going. I'm going to go and do something that isn't going to make sense to you right away. But pretty soon, you're going to have a revelation that the same thing that God did for the Israelites in the land when they were being held captive, as he took that lamb and used that blood for their deliverance, so my life is going to be slain. Why? So that I can bring you life. Jesus presents this to his disciples saying, I am the way to life. In order 
for you to have life, in order for you to get through to eternal life, I must give up mine for you. What does this mean? Jesus gave up his life, but it means that we have to do something. In order to receive this life from him, it's, gonna, it's going to require a cost. You can write this down if you're taking notes. To receive his life, we must be willing to lose ours. Here's the deal. My life, Robin's life, it can't get me through to eternity. Doesn't work. Your life, you can't get through to eternity. No, it requires Jesus' life. But if we're going to receive his life, we must be willing to lay down our own. We must be willing to lay down ourselves and surrender all to receive his life. Now, let me word it like this as I finally get to presenting that title you wrote down earlier. Are we willing to accept the invitation to lay down our lives so we can inherit his? When I first sat down to study this portion of scripture, I had the revelation as to why this I am statement of Jesus is so popular. And I wish I could say that it was because Christians for centuries have done a really good job of personalizing this verse and heeding this invitation, but that's simply not the reason this verse is, is so quotable and popular. It's because for Christians, we've had the tendency to apply this scripture to everyone else but ourselves. For decades, this has been the favorite scripture to wield condemnation to those who don't believe. This has been the favorite scripture for us to say to those who don't believe, you're not gonna make it to heaven and here's why. This has been the club, in fact, that we've wielded over people's lives and said, you don't get it, you won't get to heaven. This is how we've defended our religion and said, you're wrong, I'm right, he's the way, he's the truth. This has been kind of the mic drop moment for the Christian apologetic who said, he's the way, and we've hit people over the heads with it. Said, we've wielded this as a club to others. Now, this I am statement wasn't meant for that. That is never what Jesus intended. And as I sat down and studied this and had this revelation, before I even started writing, I began repenting. <laughs> Repenting for ever using this I am statement as a way to defend my religion. I began repenting for taking this I am statement of Jesus's out of context, which sometimes Christians are so good at doing. But this I am statement that Jesus made it was never meant to be a club to hit people over the head. This I am statement that Jesus made was something completely different. Now, this was really easy for me to pick up, but my next sermon illustration is not, so Tim and Adam are going to come and help me out. The club was not the way that Jesus was presenting this I am statement to his disciples. Instead, he was presenting to them a table. It looked like this. And some cushions, if you will. <laughs> Thank you, Vanna. Two more. See, as Jesus gathered around, right here. Thank you, thank you, thank you. 
I'm all, this has to be set up. I'm all about aesthetics. I need them here. As Jesus was presenting this I am statement to his disciples, he was sitting at a table and you're like, Robin, this table's really low. That's, this is actually more biblically accurate because they didn't sit at a tall table in chairs. Instead, they sat at a low table with cushions. And as Jesus gathered around the table with his disciples, he did not have an angry, frustrated demeanor. He was not holding a club up to the disciples and say, you'll never get it, you'll never make your way into heaven. Jesus wasn't angry, how do we know this? Well, let's go back to verse one, what does it say? He says, let not your hearts be troubled. Those are not words of a frustrated, angry Jesus. Oh, those are words of compassion. Jesus, who is about to go do the hardest thing he will ever do, give, it, give up his life on a cross, was not sitting and wallowing in what he was going to do. Instead, he was filled with compassion for this group of boys that he'd been walking with for the last three years. He loved them, and he was about to leave them. And so Jesus, filled with so much compassion before he makes one of the most exclusive claims about himself, that he is I am, he's looking on these boys with compassion and with love. And Jesus says this, if you're taking notes, last thing I want you to write down today. Jesus isn't using a club to force change. Instead, he's offering a cushion to find life. I want to invite the band to come as we prepare to close. Jesus isn't saying to us today as disciples, hurry up and change your life. He's not holding a club. Instead, what he's doing is he's saying, I'm offering you a cushion to come and sit and find life with me. Have you accepted this invitation of Jesus being the way? for your life? Have you accepted the invitation that he wants to be the truth for your life? Have you accepted his life? Because if not, then he's offering you a cushion. He's saying, come and sit with me. Maybe you'd say today, hey, I've been walking my own path, but Today, I know that it's time to walk Jesus this way. It's really simple, come and sit. If you know me, you know that I love rearranging furniture. If you've been to my house, you've noticed it. Recently, I moved one of my favorite chairs from my living room into my dining room. And this is a chair that I sit in in the morning as I read and study and pray. And as I'm sitting with my Bible, I can't help but look up and see my dining room table morning after morning. So God's been speaking to me a lot about tables. There is so much he has for us at his table. Let's remember this is an intimate setting he invites us into to come and sit with him. So maybe today you say, I'm following Jesus's way. I said yes a few Sundays ago or a few months back and I'm coming regularly to church. I'm in a small group. I've got people, I'm I'm worshiping in my car on the way to work. I'm beginning to read the word. So maybe you're walking in his ways, but you say, I'm not sure I have his truth yet. Do you know what Jesus is inviting you to do? 
He's inviting you to grab your Bible, <laughs> to come and sit at his table. Why? So he can teach you his truth. You know, when Jesus sat with these disciples at this famous meal, do you know that they didn't get everything right away? They were pretty confused sitting at this table, all the things that Jesus said. And in the same way that they didn't get it all in one sitting, do you know that Jesus is not expecting you to get it all in one sitting? He's not expecting you to show up and like, all right, you are the way, you are the truth through life. I got it all together. I am a perfect Christian. No, it takes time. But my question for us today is, are we willing to come and sit with him? Because he's pulled up a cushion. There's an invitation. He says, come, come and would you sit with me so that you can learn to walk in my ways? Come and would you sit with me so you can learn my truth? Son, daughter, I'm not looking at you with anger saying, would you figure it out? I'm issuing you an invitation in love to say, come and sit with me. This is where you're gonna find me. For the rest of my days, I know there's a cushion that he has for me to come and sit. Why? Guys, this world is crazy. And there's a lot of pastors and church leaders that are going the opposite direction. And I think it's because they aren't coming back to the table. Listen, I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to lead a church and follow Jesus and figure things out. Life is hard. Teaching and leading and preaching and trying to disciple people is hard. But what do I know? Is that you're gonna find me at this table. This is the place I'm gonna keep coming back to. Why? So I can continue walking in his ways. So I can keep walking in his truth. So he can keep teaching me more truth. So that I can find life in him. And that's what he's inviting all of us to do today. Come on, would you pray with me this morning? Holy Spirit, we thank you that you are so good and you're in our midst and you're here right now. And as we have gone through this message. You've spoken directly to our hearts. Right now, I just pray that you would settle every distraction of where you gotta be after, but right now you would just make that conscious effort of what he's spoken directly and specifically to you. The ways that he's inviting you to walk in, the truth that he's inviting you to walk in. Holy Spirit, Thank you for pulling up the cushion. Right now I make a commitment that I'm gonna come and sit with you so you can lead me, so you can teach me. Oh, I wanna take this really important moment with our heads bowed and our eyes still closed because there is also an invitation to some people today that have never said yes to sitting at this table. Maybe you're here today and you're hearing this message and you know, I am not walking in his way, in his truth, in his life. I know that I'm far from him, but I don't wanna be any longer. Today, I know that his invitation is not easy, but I know that I finally want to receive his life today. And he's pulling up a cushion for you to receive life. It's really simple. If you want him to be Lord of your life, I've already told you it's not easy and I know it's a big commitment and I will not lie to you, but he loves you so much and I know he's drawing you this morning 
So if you're far from God and you wanna make a commitment to fully walk in his ways, in his truth, and you wanna receive his life, would you simply lift up your hand so I know who I'm praying with today? Amen, right over here. Come on, I see you right back, back there, amen. Thank you, Jesus, thank you, Jesus. Come on, we pray this out with me today. Say, Jesus, today I choose to follow you to walk in your way, to walk in your truth, and to receive your life. Today, I wanna be a disciple. I turn from my past, and I start walking in your path. Would you be Lord of my life? In Jesus' mighty name, amen, amen. Can we give it up for those? Hey, thanks for taking the time to listen to the Father's House podcast. We hope it helped you wherever you're at in your journey. And listen, we wanna pray with you if you're going through something right now that's difficult. You can go to our website, tfh.church, and click on the prayer and praise link and tell us how to join you in prayer. Until next time, be blessed.